Now, ladies, I don't know if you understand this uh, like us men, but this, this whole undercover secret agent thing, now that, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's been pretty exciting all throughout history, but the James Bond series probably really ramped that up over the last 40 years as the man of mystery, you know, cavorting with danger, living behind enemy lines. I mean, it just looks so thrilling. And of course, it's more than thrilling, it's actually heroic. Because there are real-life undercover agents, from the police to national security to the war on terrorism, there are people who live behind enemy lines to protect you and me. So from the big screen where it excites us to, to real life where they protect us, man, the, the life of an undercover agent is thrilling and it's heroic. But there is a place where being undercover is neither thrilling or heroic. There is a place that being undercover is a failure. Jesus has never called any of us, anyone, to be undercover. Would you look with me this morning in Luke chapter 22? We're going to look at, again, a very familiar part of the Easter story, maybe one of the well most well-known parts, as we look at the, the denial by Peter. Now, this is our second week in this series that we're calling Easter's Call. Easter's Call on your life and in my life. And you might remember that we said last week, no part of the Easter story, or for that matter, no part of the Bible, is just there for historical information. This, God didn't put this here so we'd go, oh, that's what Peter did. Oh, that's what went on Thursday night. No, but rather each part of the historical story that is revealed to you and to me is there to teach, it's there to communicate, it's there to challenge. Easter has a call on your life and on my life. What is this call? Why does God want you and I to see what happens to Peter? What's his call as we read this? Let's look and see. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 54, if you don't have a Bible with you today, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the pew and read and study along with us. Luke 22, I'll begin reading in verse 54. It says there, They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, This, this man, he, he was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them too. Man, I, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Our story today is a, is a look into a moment of the life of one of the most highly regarded disciples in Scripture. Maybe the most well-known disciple in Scripture. You know, this is the disciple that was the, the first one to recognize, the first one to confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
the son of the living God. Peter was bold. He was strong. He was a leader among leaders. Peter's the one who pulls a sword out against and advancing guards arresting Jesus. I mean, what is he going to do with that? He's going to get killed. But he was there. He was brave. So how does this turn and happen? Well, before we understand that, I do think it's important to realize that, that every detail of this, every bit of it, was predicted. As a matter of fact, look right here in the same chapter. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 of chapter 22. It says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus not only predicts his fall, but he also predicts his restoration. When you turn back, I'm going to need you to get the rest of the disciples back on track. Verse 33, Lord, he told them, I'm ready to go with you to, to prison and to death. That's a, that's a pretty powerful statement of commitment, isn't it? It's hard to believe that probably less than an hour later is when we arrive at what we just read in his denials. Jesus said in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus predicted in great detail everything that was going to happen. You know, I think as we go through this story, it's important to see that. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And if you think about it, as a man, he could have run from it. As a God, he could have stopped it. He didn't do either. He didn't run and he didn't stop it. He took on every bit of it, including rejection and denial by one of his best friends. And he endured all that for you. He endured that for me. Now, when we left off in our story last week, Jesus was just about to get arrested. And as you can see where we've picked up today, he has just been arrested. And they're, they're moving Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane to the household of the high priest. And notice it says there that Peter followed. Now, you know, before we take off on Peter's failure, let's note something. He's there None of the other disciples are. John's going to show up in a little bit, but all the other disciples have run away. They've all fled. Peter is at least still following the Lord. Now, I can't really tell you what his intentions were in that. Is, is he just following out of curiosity? Just you know, what's going to happen to Jesus? Trying to get nearby and, and see what's going on. Is it a timid attempt to follow through on what he said in verse 33? I don't know. I'm not sure why he's there, but he is. He's following the Lord. And when we come to his first denial, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? I mean, again, just a moment earlier, he'd pulled a sword ready to take on a fight with advancing soldiers. And yet his intimidator now is it's not a soldier. It's not a high priest. It doesn't even look like it's anybody that could even do anything to him. It's a servant girl. And it says there that she's staring at him. You know, they're, they're warming themselves by the, the fire. They're standing there and, and she's, looking, she's looking through the light. You know, the, the fire's kind of flickering on his face and you can see her thinking, I, I know you. I, I've seen you somewhere before. Ah, you were with him. You were with Jesus. Peter comes out and says, I was not. 
I was not with him. But his denial goes a step further than just saying, I wasn't with him. He says, I don't even know him. I don't know him. Now, it doesn't leap off the page here in the English translation. But that little phrase there, I don't know him, actually comes in the Jewish tradition. It's called a ban formula, B-A-N. And when somebody was banned from the synagogue, when they were kicked out of church, the people, the high priest would say, we don't know you. We have nothing to do with you. I mean, that's what you said when you were kicking somebody out. And this is the exact same phrase that Peter uses right here. I don't know him. Have you ever been put on the spot? Somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer or you're embarrassed of the answer. You're not sure how you want to be associated with that. You kind of hem and haw. Maybe you answer a question with a question. Maybe you get kind of timid and shy. Man, Peter doesn't do any of that. Peter loudly, boldly, strongly proclaims, I have no knowledge of him. I have no relationship with him. Have you ever been there? Around that, that individual, maybe that group of people, and you, and let's be honest, you, did, you didn't want them to know. You didn't want them to know that you had knowledge of Jesus. You didn't want them to know that you had a relationship with Him. The passage goes on to say, short while later. Don't really know how much a short while later is based on the fact it says an hour later in the next verse. I'm guessing a short while must be, you know, 15, 30 minutes later. He's just gone through this denial and in 15, 30 minutes have passed. He's still there by the fire and, and again comes an accusation. You know, you might be thinking, guys, this, this Peter must be really popular. Everybody knows who he is. Well, it wasn't Jesus or Peter that was popular. It was Jesus. Jesus was somewhat of a celebrity. You know, a lot of times I think when we read the New Testament, we imagine that, that just thousands of people were becoming followers of Christ. And that's really not the case. As a matter of fact, after his resurrection, when we would see the beginning of what we call the church, the beginning of Christianity, it's probably only a hundred, two hundred followers at the very most. But he was a celebrity in the sense that when Jesus entered a town, thousands would come to see. They'd come to see the show. A miracle, a teaching. Well, let's say you're, you're seeing Jesus come into town and, and you, you watch him preach the Sermon on the Mount. And, and you're staring at him that whole time he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Well, guess who's just right behind him over his shoulder? Peter. So the whole time you're looking at Jesus, you're, you're looking at Peter. Maybe you were in the crowd that day when, when Jesus, remember when he fed 5,000 people? Guys, what an awesome event that was to be at. And, and you were sitting there and after everybody was fed, the disciples went out in the crowd with baskets and they picked up the leftovers from that day. Maybe you were there and you were putting your leftovers into the basket and it was Peter. It was Peter who was holding the basket that you were putting those leftovers into. Man, if you were around, if you saw Jesus, you saw the disciples, you saw Peter, he would have been recognizable. And again, he's accused. This time, though, it's a little bit different. The first time, you were with him. Now the accusation is you're one of them. You're one of them. Who's the them? Well, that's the disciples. But let's not use big fancy words. It's his best friends. 
his best friends. As a matter of fact, not only his best friends, one of the them is Andrew, his brother, his own flesh and blood. And they say, you're one of them. No, I'm not. Man, I don't have anything to do with them. They're a bunch of crazy people. I'm not like the them at all. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. You know what's interesting as you read this story is, you ever stop and ask yourself, why is he still there? <laughs> I mean, clearly he's being recognized. Clearly it's getting uncomfortable to be recognized. But, but he doesn't leave. He stays there. He wants to know what's going on with his Savior. He wants to know what's happening with Jesus. Maybe he's trying to be brave and try to follow. He just doesn't want anybody to know. Peter wants to be an undercover follower of Jesus Christ. Next, the passage says uh, about an hour later, and so he's been outside now. He's been out in this courtyard for two, maybe close to three hours. Now, while he's out here going through his ordeal, this tough questioning by a servant girl, where's Jesus? Well, he's inside. He's being falsely accused, tried, lied about. Their passage says they're, they're hitting him in the face. They're mocking him. They're spitting on him. It says they're snatching the hair out of his beard. I don't think I'll ever be able to grow a beard. But I can't imagine that would feel good. You know, I think it's important to contrast what's happening to Peter with what's happening to Jesus at the exact same moment. Because, you know, a lot of times when, when the world is raining down on us and we're feeling the pressure and it hurts and it's hard, that's how Peter feels, isn't it? Boy, it's easy for us sometimes to assume that God doesn't know, God doesn't care, God doesn't know what's going on, God doesn't understand what it's like to be me. Oh man, God, God understands. God knows. God, God has been there. The exact same moment. The crowd continues to insist Peter's one of them. We, we don't know if the crowd's angry. We don't know if they're violent. Maybe they're just, I, if I'm in the crowd, I imagine I'd be just annoyed. I mean, this guy keeps saying he's not one of them. Clearly, he's, look at what he's wearing. L listen to his accent. He's got to be a Galilean. What would a Galilean be doing in Jerusalem in the middle of the night in the courtyard of the high priest unless he was one of them? I mean, the circumstantial evidence gives him away. Peter again denies. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. It's interesting to, to read the different gospel accounts. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all give an account of Peter's denial. It's very clear as you read all the gospels that, that Peter denied three specific times. What, what gets a little fuzzy is just who all was questioning him. You know, was it a group of people questioning him? And one gospel points to the group. Another gospel points to the person who's stepping forward. The reason I say this is interesting is some people look at the gospels and even the Easter story and say, you know, here's some of the proof that the, of the Bible's inaccuracies. Here's some of the proof that the, the Bible contradicts itself. One gospel says there's one angel at the tomb. Another gospel says there's two angels at the tomb. And these people can't even get their story straight. And they say, this, you know, this proves it's inaccurate. 
When in actuality, it, that's exactly what it proves, is its accuracy. What it proves is eyewitnesses. If I'm making up a story, if I'm making up a religion, we're going to all get together and get the story right. We're going to make sure we're all writing it out exactly the same way. But what they're giving you is true eyewitness accounts. And different things stand out to an eyewitness. You know, it's interesting to think about that this time of year because right now in the movie theater is a movie called Vantage Point. I haven't seen it, not recommending it. But this, this movie Vantage Point, it, apparently the story is about the assassination of a president. And, and the movie just continues to show that assassination over and over and over. But each time you see the assassination, you see it from a different vantage point. Exact same event, but from a different vantage point, you take in all kinds of new evidence. You, you take in a whole different realm of information. And, and so this person from this advantage point is going to say, I saw this and this and this. Somebody over here is going to say, well, I saw this and this. Is this a contradiction? Is one of them lying? No, they're a complement to the truth and the wholeness of what happened in that moment. It's exactly what we've got in the Gospels. Not a contradiction, a compliment. Eyewitnesses saying, from my vantage point, from what I took in, this is what was prominent. This is what I saw. And what is clear is that Peter denied three specific times. And then the rooster crowed. Remember verse 34? It says Peter did. He remembered. You know, that word, he remembered, really stuck out to me. I, I don't know how many times I've studied this passage in 25 plus years. I, I don't know how many times I've taught on this passage. And you know, I've never once thought this question. Why did he just now remember? I mean, it, it probably was not much more than three, maybe four hours ago that Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Why didn't he remember after the first denial? Well, why didn't he remember after the second denial? Is it possible that Peter, is it possible that you and I can deny the Lord and not even recognize what we're doing? Not even acknowledge what is happening in that moment. Huh, yeah, I'll tell you all something, I find that scary because I don't want to deny my Lord. I don't think many of you want to, you know what I want to do? I want to be like, I don't want to be the, the Peter of verse 60. I want to be the Peter of verse 33. Man, I want to I be faithful. I want to be loyal. I want to be committed. Probably all of us in here. I, that's what I want to be like. But is it possible that we deny him and don't even recognize what we're doing? Don't even acknowledge what we're doing? The rooster crowed. Cobweb shook out of his head. You know, a point of clarity finally happened and he recognized what he was doing. And then this next verse, I think it's got to be one of the most crushing verses in all the Bible. Jesus turned and looked. Can we even begin to imagine what Peter feels like when he locks eyes with Jesus. You know, physically speaking, I'm not really sure how 
how Jesus was able to look at him. Was he standing there bound up waiting to go into a room with soldiers on each side of him and was just able to look over? Was he in a room, had a window, and the fire just happened to be right outside there where they were standing? Were they moving Jesus from one wing of the house to another wing and it just happened to be at that moment? I, I don't know. I don't know, physically speaking, how Jesus was able to be there and look at him, but, but he did. You know, I think I can just barely kind of imagine how Peter felt right here. When I was in high school, I was in the locker room with a group of guys and, and they were talking bad about another guy, bad-mouthing them. And that other guy they were talking bad about was about my best friend. And I joined them. I don't know why. I don't even remember what the conversation was about. But I started talking bad about my best friend. And you know it. He walked into the locker room and stood right behind me while I was talking. And I felt like dirt. There's nothing to say. I'm guessing he didn't feel too good either. Can you imagine looking at the eyes of Jesus having just denied him? Peter does remember. Peter does lock eyes. And it becomes more than he can handle. Finally, he does. He does get out of Dodge. He runs out of there. Says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You know, I'm not sure I've ever wept bitterly in my whole life. He wept bitterly. You know why he wept? Because he was wrong. And it hurts to be that kind of wrong. He, he didn't recognize it for a while. But when he recognized it, when it came to, it hurts to not stand up for somebody who stood up for you. It hurts to deny somebody who's loved you like that. Where are you right now around the fire? You know, I read this story and I think there's three places we're going to be in life. One place is I stand for the Lord. I stand for Him in every environment. I stand for Him in every situation in my life. I stand for Him around every person I'm around. I identify with Him and I let people know I'm a part of them. I stand. Another place we can be is somewhere around this first and second denial. I, 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 you know, I mean, in here it's fine, but, but out there, I, I don't really want people to know. I don't want that group to know. I try to be kind of quiet about that whole thing. I don't really want to associate that I know him. I certainly don't want people to know I'm a part of them. But I don't recognize what I'm doing. I may not think I'm doing anything. Somewhere around here in this one or two. Denial. But then somewhere in life, some of us may be in a third position, that, that rooster crowed. We finally, it came clear to us, you know what? I don't stand for the Lord. I don't identify my life with Him. I'm going to be a coward ten to one more than I'm going to stand for Him. Where are you in this? Where are you around the fire? Of course, it's not a fire, is it? Most of us, that's probably not happening around the campfire. Most of us, probably happening around the coffee pot at work. 
might be happening in the locker room or at school in the hallways. Maybe it's with friends. Maybe it's just standing out in the front yard doing some gardening, start talking to some neighbors. But, but pretty soon at one of these locations, they, they begin to mock Christianity or mock the church or make fun of. And, and we get that feeling. You know what that feeling is? We we're, we're just kind of get quiet. I, I, don't, I don't want to be recognized here. I think a good place just to kind of stay undercover. You know, ultimately, to follow Christ, you have to go public. The commitment of verse 33, it's not hard to say that. It's not hard to say that when you're looking right at Jesus. It's not hard to say that when you're a part of the them. But sooner or later, our walk with Christ carries us out in front of they. And we have to go public. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually said, I, I think it's one of the harshest things Jesus said. He actually said in Mark 8, 38, If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you when you stand before my Father and His holy angels. Jesus has no undercover work. He has no undercover assignments. Where are you in this? You know, if you don't want to be ashamed anymore, and we all have, starting right here with me, everybody back here in the choir and orchestra, everybody in this room, every single one of us has been ashamed. You didn't want anybody to know. You didn't want to identify with. You denied. You denied with your silence. You denied with your words. If you don't want to be there, I've got incredible news for you. Jesus forgives and he restores. And you know what's so exciting about that? It's not just that, whew, boy, I'm not going to be in trouble for that. No, Peter's life was never again defined by this failure. Peter's life was defined by his restoration and forgiveness. And Peter never failed again. We can be forgiven. We can be restored. An assignment for you. Two things. Number one, identify with Christ this week. Identify with the church this week. It doesn't have to be a hard place. It doesn't have to be somewhere where they're going to, you know, they're, you know, Christians are lining up to be stoned. You don't have to get in that line. Look, seriously, look for an easy place, a safe place, a comfortable place to say, yeah, I'm one, I, I belong to him. Yeah, I'm a part of them. You know, we actually, we need to practice this. We need to look for opportunities to practice identifying with him so that we're ready when the opportunity comes looking for us. We need to practice. Now that you can choose to do. The second thing is a little bit harder. Second thing is, next time it's uncomfortable... Take a stand. You know, when I say take a stand, I, I'm not saying get up and preach a sermon. I'm not saying stand up and, and quote a bunch of verses. I'm not saying stand up and get into an argument. I'm not saying stand up and, and be holier than thou. Just stand up and say, I, I know him. He changed my life. I'm a part of them. They're not a perfect group, but... I'm one of them. Take a stand. 
You know, I can't guarantee you what will happen when you do. There are people throughout history, when they took a stand, they got their head cut off. When they said, yeah, I know him, they were fed to lions. I think even in America, take a stand, you lose your job. But I tell you what, it's a whole lot more exciting to go through life and into eternity. Letting your life be defined by courage and taking a stand for the one who stood for you than it is to let your life be defined by shame and denial. He stood for you. He stood for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we confess that there are situations, maybe we know specific ones or maybe we just know the personality of our life. There are places that, that we have just kept our mouth shut. We, we didn't want to identify. We didn't want to say we belong to you. We denied you. Lord, we're sorry. We seek that forgiveness that you offered to Peter. God, we don't want any more of our life to be defined like that. We want your forgiveness to inspire us to take on the strength and the character that, that Peter went on to have from that point forward till he himself followed you all the way to his own cross. Could we be just that kind of people? Have that kind of courage? Because you are so worthy of it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.